Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Tuesday, February 13, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In Riverside today, expect mild temperatures. We're looking at a high of 63.7 degrees and a low dipping to 47.3. Now, diving into today's top stories, we've got a significant development from Capitol Hill. The Senate has just pushed forward a massive $95.3 billion aid package aimed at supporting Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. This decision comes amid vocal concerns from some Republican lawmakers. We'll unpack the political nuances and the global implications of this financial support. On the healthcare front, hospitals are pushing back against the latest policy from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. It's a complex issue as medical institutions cite significant financial challenges and increased burdens that this new policy could bring about. Our health correspondent will provide in-depth analysis on what this means for the hospitals and the patients they serve. And on a lighter note, we'll explore a topic affecting our little ones, addressing childhood needle phobia. It may seem small, but needle fear can be a major barrier to healthcare for children. We'll be sharing some simple, yet effective solutions that aim to alleviate both fear and pain during vaccinations and other medical procedures. All that and more is coming up, so stay tuned to Alex's News for the latest in these compelling stories. We're leading today with the top story surrounding the significant international aid package that's making its way through Congress. Ethan, the Senate has made a big move forward on this bill. Can you walk us through what's happening? Absolutely, Grace. The Senate has just pushed a massive $95.3 billion aid package that's directed at supporting Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. This bipartisan vote, which concluded at 67 to 27, means that this bill is expected to pass within the next few days. So the bulk of this package is for Ukraine, but it's not the only beneficiary. Can you break down how this funding is distributed? Sure thing. Out of the total amount, $60.1 billion is earmarked for Ukraine, which is for bolstering their defenses against Russian aggression. Israel is set to receive $14.1 billion in aid to counter threats from Hamas, and there's also nearly $10 billion reserved for humanitarian assistance across various conflict zones. Lastly, $8 billion is set aside for partners in the Indo-Pacific region, such as Taiwan, aiming to strengthen alliances there. The Senate seems on board but the House seems to have a different tune. What can you tell us about the opposition views there? Right, Grace, there's definitely some turbulence. The House Republicans, led by Speaker Mike Johnson, are questioning the Senate's priorities. They're uncertain about this international aid and feel strongly about redirecting focus towards security at the U.S.-Mexico border. What's the undercurrent of the opposition? What's driving this kind of response from the House Republicans? This rift essentially boils down to a segment of the Republican Party that's heavily influenced by former President Donald Trump's stance. They're emphasizing the need to first secure America's borders before extending support abroad. There's a significant voice within the party pushing back on continuous aid to Ukraine, and this is becoming a contentious point within the party itself. President Biden has been quite vocal about this aid. What's at stake if Congress doesn't pass this package? President Biden sees this as crucial to reinforcing commitments to our allies and ensuring stability and support amidst ongoing conflicts, especially with the heightened aggression from Russia towards Ukraine. If this package doesn't pass, it could signal a weaker stance on international conflicts and strain relationships with key allies. 
and there's been talk about a potential stalemate over this. Could this impact the bill's survival? Indeed, Grace. The major sticking point is that the House's support hinges on border security provisions they want included, which the Senate package currently lacks. Speaker Johnson might not even bring the bill to a vote if it doesn't address these concerns, which puts the entire aid package on shaky ground. So there's support, but also significant concerns from key Republicans. Can you elaborate on their reservations? Yes, Grace. Certain Republican senators, even those who are not entirely against aiding Ukraine, are concerned about the long-term strategy, fiscal responsibility, and balancing support overseas with domestic needs. These concerns focus on how the U.S. plans to manage this assistance without undermining its own fiscal stability. Thank you, Ethan, for that in-depth look at the situation with the international aid package. We'll certainly keep our viewers updated as the story progresses. This was the first of our three major stories today. Always happy to provide the context, Grace. Thank you. On to our second story for today. Hospitals across the nation are pushing back against new policies from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which are meant to save taxpayer dollars. To get a better understanding of this complex situation, we have our expert health correspondent, Chloe, with us. Chloe, can you walk us through what's happening? Certainly, Grace. The CMS has finalized a rate hike of 3.1% for hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers. The controversy, however, stems from their plan to recover approximately $7.8 billion from hospitals over the next 16 years. The method? By reducing payments for non-drug items and services. That's a significant sum. What's the rationale behind this recovery plan? According to CMS, the plan is a necessary step to manage a balanced budget. It compensates for the payment increases in other areas. But it's not sitting well with hospitals. They're arguing it undermines their ability to provide care, given the current financial pressures they're already facing. Speaking of financial pressures, the American Hospital Association has been vocal about this, right? What are their main concerns? That's right. The AHA is seriously worried. They say that hospitals are already grappling with labor shortages, inflation, and economic challenges. They believe these new cuts will make it impossible for hospitals to recover financially. It's a battle on two fronts, hospitals fighting policies they see as detrimental, and physicians rallying against cuts to their Medicare reimbursements. With physicians also opposing proposed cuts to their Medicare reimbursements, is there any talk of congressional intervention? Physicians are actively advocating for it. They're calling for Congress to step in and mitigate these 3.4% cuts to Medicare reimbursements, which could further strain the healthcare system. And it seems there's more than just financial challenges here. Hospitals are mentioning issues like compliance burdens and a lack of transparent dialogue? Exactly. Hospitals are dealing with a tremendous amount of regulatory requirements, which not only are costly but also add complexity to hospital operations. Plus, they're feeling a disconnect with CMS. There's a desire for better standards, clearer communication, and a more consistent interpretation of data. What about adapting to policy changes? That must play a role too. It does. The pace at which hospitals are expected to adapt to new CMS rules can be taxing. These frequent policy shifts and resistant systems present additional operational challenges for hospitals already in a precarious financial state. Chloe, might there also be implications for hospital innovation and advocacy with the looming threat of Medicare insolvency? Hospitals are certainly concerned about that. 
While the CMS is focusing on innovation, the immediate threat to Medicare funding is seen as conflicting with hospitals' efforts to maintain financial stability amidst these policy changes. CMS has been pushing for hospital price transparency too. How is this adding to the hospital's burden? Increased enforcement on price transparency means hospitals have to invest more in compliance, which can be especially tough for those already struggling. Timely submission of compliance plans and streamlining compliance reviews are seen as additional burdens. I imagine cost management is a critical factor here as well, right? Absolutely. Policies concerning specialty hospitals can subtly influence hospital resistance by creating significant financial implications for hospital operations. It's a multifaceted issue where reporting burdens, inconsistent communication, and strategic shifts all intensify hospitals' reluctance to embrace new CMS policies. Very informative. Chloe, thank you for breaking down this complex situation for us and helping us understand the various layers at play here. You're welcome, Grace. It's important for the public to be aware of these developments in our healthcare system. Here are some other headlines. New Yorkers in the 3rd Congressional District are heading to the polls today in a highly anticipated special election, one set to fill the shoes of the vacated seat of former Congressman George Santos. On the Democratic side, we have Tom Suwazi, eyeing a return to Congress, squaring off against Mozzie Pillip for the Republicans, who has made waves as an Ethiopian Jewish immigrant with a record of service in the Israel Defense Forces. This election isn't just a local issue. The outcome holds national implications as both parties gear up for the general elections later this year. In the corridors of power, the Senate has made a strong move in international politics, approving a substantial $95.3 billion emergency spending bill meant to bolster Ukraine and other allies. Despite some initial Republican skepticism and debate over border security, the legislation aims to provide military and humanitarian aid to those on the front line against Russian aggression. Meanwhile, nature is making headlines as the Northeast and New England brace for a significant nor'easter. Over 32 million people have found themselves under a winter storm warning. The storm is forecast to bring up to a foot of snow in some areas, including potential coastal flooding and perilous conditions that could greatly impact the Tuesday morning commute, school operations, and more. In an unexpected turn in international relations, Russia has set its sights on Estonian and Lithuanian officials, putting them on its wanted list. This comes in response to Russian perceptions of historical memorial desecration, a move that escalates tension between Russia and the Baltic nations amid a backdrop of the ongoing Ukrainian conflict. And finally, in the Middle East, we're looking at a precarious dance of diplomacy as talks between Israel and Hamas continue over a potential ceasefire and hostage exchange. With regional and global powers like Qatar, Egypt, and the United States watching closely, Analysts remain cautiously optimistic, though significant roadblocks remain before any potential agreement can be solidified. In Hollywood, art directors are taking center stage in a different kind of drama, as the search for sustainability becomes increasingly prominent in set design and production. Efforts are underway to ensure the materials of the silver screen find new life after the cameras stop rolling, in a push to keep the glitz and glamour from contributing to the planet's waste problem. Stay tuned for more details on these stories as we continue to stay on top of the day's latest developments. On to our third and final story of the morning.
We're diving into a topic that's a common concern for many parents out there, the fear of needles in children. This is not a small matter, as NPR reports that an estimated 25% of adults have a fear of needles that originated in childhood, with 16% of adults avoiding flu vaccinations because of it. To give us a more detailed look into this, we're joined by our specialist correspondent, Ethan. Ethan, what more can you tell us about this situation? Thanks, Grace. It's certainly a pressing issue. Needle phobia, or trypanophobia, can start from a very young age and it affects not just individual health but also public health when it leads to a hesitation in vaccinations. A California doctor has tackled this fear head-on with some evidence-based strategies designed to help children cope with the pain and fear associated with shots. Interesting. Ethan, can you break down some of these strategies for our listeners? Absolutely, Grace. One simple method is the application of an over-the-counter lidocaine cream like EMLA. When applied about 30 minutes before the vaccination, it can numb the area and reduce pain. Other techniques focus on distraction, such as letting children blow bubbles or spin pinwheels during the shot to divert their attention away from the needle. For infants, offering breastfeeding or a pacifier dipped in sugar water seems to work wonders. It sounds like these methods could be quite effective. Can you tell us more about the Ouchless Jab Challenge? Sure thing. The Ouchless Jab Challenge is a new pain management protocol being piloted at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospitals in San Francisco and Oakland. The idea is to make routine healthcare and vaccinations a less traumatic experience for children, which in turn might make parents more inclined to keep their vaccination appointments. These are all proactive solutions, Ethan. But what are the potential long-term effects if this phobia isn't addressed? This is where the issue becomes more critical. If fear of needles isn't dealt with during childhood, it can lead to healthcare avoidance in adulthood. This means potentially higher health risks due to undetected or untreated conditions and a greater likelihood of health complications from vaccine-preventable diseases. The psychological impact can't be ignored either, with needle phobia leading to anxiety which can disrupt daily life and social interactions. Are there any peculiarities with this phobia that might influence its development in children? Researchers suggest that genetics, along with family and environmental factors, might play a role. For instance, children observing a family member with a fear of needles could develop the phobia themselves. Also, children with needle phobia can struggle with anticipatory anxiety, leading to insomnia or heightened distress leading up to medical appointments. That's quite eye-opening, Ethan. It seems crucial. Then, to address needle phobia early, is there anything else that parents and clinicians can do? Education and preparation are key. Aside from these strategies, teaching children deep breathing techniques, proper positioning, and preparation about what to expect can all help mitigate fear. The addition of vibration near the injection site can also be a helpful tool. It's all about creating a supportive environment to empower the child and reduce trauma. This has been an insightful conversation, Ethan. Thank you for bringing light to such an important topic. It's clear that tackling needle phobia needs to be a multi-dimensional approach for the sake of our children's health today and in their futures. Absolutely, Grace. It's been my pleasure to discuss this. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for our third story. Stay with us as we continue to bring you the latest and most important updates. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.